so great to finally be at home again. Oh my goodness, wow. And how things, how things have changed. This pulpit's not in the right place anymore. You have no idea how OCD I am, and this is, I'm not going to be able to talk with you here. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm going to let that be there. I'm going to stand here anyway, Tiffany, because this is where I need to be right here, because this is really, I, who designed this room to begin with? All right. Turn in your Bible to the book of Colossians this morning. The book of Colossians. I've entitled this message today, Reversing the Forces of Entropy. Colossians 1, beginning in verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones, powers, rulers, authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things. And in, all, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. And he is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. So that in everything, he might have the supremacy. Let's pray. Lord, in these next 25 minutes, let us hear something of your spirit today. Lord, yes, help me articulate the words, but God, open ears that we can hear that which the spirit is saying to the church. God, that you might give us the road signs. You might, God, illuminate what might seem to be very, very dark places in our worlds. But that, God, that you have given us a way through. Help us. In Jesus' name, amen. It was actually last year that God dropped a single word into my spirit. It was the word entropy. Now, that's not a happy word to get dropped into your spirit. I don't know about you, but I like words like money, <laughs> more, skinny. I mean, that words I want to hear. More hair. I mean, you know, but that was just one of these, you know, these, these words, these natafs that just drop out of heaven in this moment. And I'm not Mr. Science guy like Bishop Brett. So I had to go study what this actually meant. But it's, as I have watched this word unfold over the past almost year now, it seems to be a word that, while I was hoping, would kind of go away. You ever had something that you just wish it would just go away? Some lump or bump or, you know, or that you have on your body or some kind of ache or pain and you're just like, it'll be all right. This was one of those words that I was hoping I heard wrong and that it would just go away, but it hasn't gone away. And considering the confusion and the ongoing chaos around us, it doesn't, that, that doesn't seem to be decreasing. If anything, it appears to be on the increase. And I ask this question, Lord, is is this the new cultural cliche of the new normal? 
When is this going to be over? Like the disciples, Lord, are you going to restore the kingdom? It was, it was these human questions of, of, of our own discontent and our own disquiet and our own discomfort. When is all of this stuff, when is this stupid virus going to stop variating? When are the Russians going to pack it up and just go back home? When is the economy going to return to some sense of when? And in my humanity, beginning to cry out. And if when is not the right question, then God, how then do we live in this ever-increasing disorder? How do we do this? Now, this word entropy, as you know, it's the second law of thermodynamics. Impress your friends at parties or just <laughs> stay with me here. I'm going to get you learned this morning. But it states this, is that unless outside energy is provided, a system will find its disorder staying the same or increasing as time goes on. Stay with me. Unless outside energy is provided, a system will find its entropy or disorder staying the same or increasing as time goes on. In other words, a system will never get more ordered without outside intervention. Mm. The definition preaches itself. And so matter and by extension life then, it tends toward what? Disorder. Unless there's what? Outside intervention. Now you can prove this by your closets. The glove compartment in your car, which has never had gloves in it. I've never put it. JC, I've never put gloves in it. But I got 500 McDonald's napkins in there. Do you understand what I'm saying? I get 14 French fries and 28 napkins. You know, I don't. What is, what is the ratio that they're doing there? I don't understand. Entropy or any, any room in your home with a child that's in it for three minutes. Chaos. Disaster. Disaster. But then I've developed my own laws of entropy, which I've shared before. Let me give you just two. I call them Critcher's Laws. The first one states that the quantity of, quantity of stuff that one has is in direct proportion to the amount of space one has to stuff it. Now, this is proven... That it doesn't matter if you move from your 800-square-foot apartment to your 1,800-square-foot house to your 3,200-square-foot house. At some point, it's going to be full of something. Do you understand what I'm saying? Directly proportional. And the proof of that is the empty closets in your home that don't exist. It's why we all, when we go to buy houses, what do we do? We open the cabinet doors and we go, oh, nirvana, heaven. Look at all this space. That's what we say. Look at all this space. It won't be that way for long. 
Just move in. The second law, second of creatures law is what I call the law of horizontal surfaces. Is that it will attract stuff. Any horizontal surface in your home. Backpacks, keys. If nothing else, we will put some object art on it. Some vase, some something that we think is aesthetically pleasing. But the horizontal surfaces, they cry out. Inhabit me. Clutter me. What are these? These are principles of entropy that we all live with in our homes. And yet, it's a natural principle that has at its core a greater spiritual truth that can only be superseded supernaturally overcome by a higher truth. Stay with me. 1 Corinthians 14. For God is not a God of disorder... But of what? Peace or order. There it is. There's something about the nature and the character and the design and the creation of God. That is what? It is orderly. Now we may not understand the why and the how and the winds of how God does a thing. But the reality is from the hindsight, from history, we can look and see that God always moves us in the shortest distance between two points that what may seem incredibly circuitous incredibly complex while we're in the midst of it as we look back and say wow the efficiency of God God is a God of order one of the ways that you can many times you can tell the movement of the Holy Spirit in your life does it produce peace and order or does it create disorder We want to know many times, God, are you really doing this? Check your soul. Check your soul. Because if it's producing something of the peace and the life and the order of God, it's probably an indicator it's God. But then that passage in Colossians says this. In him, all things hold together. In him. You see, the further apart that you get from a magnetic or a gravitational force, the weaker that connection gets. Correct? I mean, you take two magnets and you pull them apart. Eventually, that connection will do what? It will begin to weaken, if not break. Gravity works exactly the same way. The further we get from the source of that gravity, the weaker that pull becomes. And with that, when we begin to drift away from that center, then that's when things, all the benefits that come with that connectivity are lost. Now, let me tell you a truism about God. And you may not like this, and I'm sorry if you don't. But I don't don't preach here much anymore. (laughs) Somehow we have this idea That as we begin to move away from center, that somehow center is going to ramp up and is going to reach out and pull us in. Let me tell you, as it regards God, it ain't true. It says, as we draw near to him, you can't turn that one around, though. He's already drawn as close as he can get. Do you understand 
And so we have this idea that God is going to continue as the good shepherd to reach and pull and reach and pull. Let me tell you, it ain't true. God will allow us. This is the terrifying part of volition. He will allow us to break that gravitational pull. He will allow us to move to a place away from order into disorder. And it begins with a drift. And as humans, as we move farther away from God, the attraction lessens. And the in-working personally and the corporate outworking lessens. And something happens called entropy. Disorder. And there's a process. And it begins with a drift. And I'll give you all the D's. And I'll unpack each, each one just for a second. There's the drift. Then there's the diffraction. Then the distraction. There's disorientation. Then deception, disorder, decay, and death. Let me give you the order again. It starts with a drift. And then diffraction. Distraction. Disorientation. Deception. Disorder, decay, and death. Now, you know, what's really interesting is that you can interrupt all of the horrible stuff at the end by just avoiding the drift. It doesn't have to move all the way to distraction and disorientation and deception and all of these other things. We can interrupt the process at the very beginning of it by just avoiding the drift. But listen to me, saints. We never drift toward God. I want you to hear this. We never drift toward God. Likewise, even as believers, our drift is always away from God and away from the things of the Spirit. I'm sorry, but the the, the hill doesn't tilt in that direction. That we naturally are inclined to the things of God. It's tilted in the opposite direction direction. Galatians chapter four, it says that you stupid Galatians, it's Jim's translation. But now that you know God or you known by God, how is it you're turning back? Now, obviously Paul was referring to turning back to the tenets of the law and righteousness based on that obedience. And yet it's still this turning back, this drift back to something. And your attraction, your attention, your affection doesn't automatically increase on the basis of your election and your sonship. It just doesn't happen. Because you and I are subject to the same forces of drift and decay as those who have never known God. You and I are subject to the very same entropical forces. Why? Say, oh, not me. Oh, no, 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 not me. Yeah, Peter said the same thing. Not me, Lord. Jesus said, give it a few minutes, buddy. Matter of fact, it won't take days. Just give it a few minutes. I'm going to show you what's on the inside. Paul writing in Romans 7, everything I don't want to do, I'm doing. What I want to do, I don't. What I hate, and, and, and I don't. And I do what I don't want to do. And I know the law is good. And then Paul goes on for like 11 verses here. And he says, like, I'm I'm nuts. 
I'm a madman. I see the forces of entropy in my own life. I see this battle. I see this war. What is it? It's called sin. Sin is what set entropy in motion to begin with. Do you realize the garden was a perfect ordered place? Sorry, there was no death. There was no decay. There were no brown leaves. There was no garbage. It was a perfect ordered system. Until something happened. Until what? James 3.16, where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. You see, it's Genesis is in Genesis. Self-seeking. Self-seeking. I can be like God knowing what God knows. In other words, it's not enough for me to assume the position. But I got to be like this guy. I've got to seek something beyond how God has chosen me to be. Diffraction, distraction, the consequence of choice masquerading as freedom. I wish I could unpack that one. The consequence of choice masquerading as freedom. Disorientation, which is confusion that, many com- that, that comes many times with what we call freedom. You've heard me opine before about walking into Wegmans. And instead of a whole chicken and a cut up chicken, now there's 50 feet of chicken. A chemical laden chicken that was raised fast and unhappy. A chicken that had a wonderful, happy, free range life and only had one bad day. And the name of the chicken is on the package. And then a whole plethora of chicken parts you didn't know existed. So that now they can charge $15 for chicken, JC. And so we call that freedom because of the plethora of choices. Keep on with that. The disorientation that comes from that. Deception. Well, it must be okay because it seems like everyone else is. Right? And then disorder, everyone actually is. It doesn't seem like they are. They all are. Disorder. And can we talk about that word disorder for a moment? What used to be simply called sin, now we call it a disorder. Everything's a disorder. He has an eating disorder. No, he needs to put the donut down. It's a donut disorder. It's deep. They have medication for that now. It's a disorder. It's not his fault. Yes, it is. It's the new order of the day. It's the norm. We all have disorders. But it's simply a way to escape culpability and accountability. G.K. Chesterton, hard to describe exactly who he was. Pastor Duke said he was the Catholic C.S. Lewis, but he was a, uh, he was a writer, humorist, quasi-theologian, 
writer in the early 20th century. And I read an article recently. And he wrote, Chesterton wrote in 1909, titled Taboos and Prohibitions. It says, it finds Chesterton mystified and worried, but not without an answer. He saw his own England becoming, quote, stranger by the day, as well as strangely barbarous. The fads of the cultured were coming more and more to resemble the habits of the barbarian. And all of this was happening in the name of something called progress. And as Chesterton observed what was happening around him in England, he was led to conclude that there were historical moments when what he termed over-civilization and what he termed barbarism were close to becoming one and the same thing. Virtually the same thing might be said of America today. For Chesterton, the essence of barbarism was idolatry. And what idolatry... What was idolatry but the setting up and worshiping of, quote, false gods? More than that, it might also mean the setting up and fearing of false devils. Now, that's interesting. That latter idea of false devils creating enemies. Don't you find in our culture now words like they? We have to create an enemy. Republican, Democrat, immigrants. And even blaming the devil when the real culpability is not the devil, it's you. I hate to be the one to tell you, but maybe you don't need deliverance ministry. Maybe you don't need two hours of inner healing. Maybe what you need is repentance. And just to stand up and man up. Can I say that? Yeah, I guess so. Stand up and man up and just say, I did it. But no, 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 we got to create some enemies. And then at that point, the entropical forces both hasten decay and death. This is, this is the process. James 1, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. Sin, when it's full grown, what? Gives birth to death. There it is. 1 Peter 4, 7, the end of all things is near. Therefore... Be clear-minded and self-control so that you can pray. So you can say, well, Pastor Jim, glad you're not preaching again this year. What a terribly disturbing diagnosis. I'm thoroughly depressed. Thank you. But then how do we navigate these forces of entropy? Because God is a good and loving father. He's not just in some deistic fashion sent us down here and said, do the best you can. I'll be back in a while. He did tell us it was going to be challenging, but he said, I'll be with you. I'm going to get you all the way through this. So then how do we do it? Let's go back to Colossians one. And I'll give you three things. First headship. He is before all things. I've studied that word all in the Greek, in the Hebrew. In every language there is, under the face of the earth. I'm just teasing. You know what the word all means? It means all. There's no cloak meaning there. Firstborn, rights of the firstborn, over all creation, by him, for him. Here's a radical life-changing revelation. We're living in his world, not ours. Now that may not sound like deep revelation, but we're living... On his turf. Here's another one. 
He's God and we're not. Parents, children, the moment they realize they're not in charge. These little people, they don't have to be trained in the art of insurrection. They come out of the womb looking to be in charge. You say yes, and they say no. The grandparents think it's cute. The parents are like, taking you out. But you see, what they want is the same thing we want, is to be in control. It's to be the man, to be large and in charge. And here's a terrifying thing about God. He'll let us do it for a while. Go ahead. Give it your best shot. Run that sucker. Here are the keys. Give it your best shot. Wow. And that authority sometimes is as simple as represented as our authority to choose. I mean, isn't this the great American battle cry? The rights, including the power of choice. It's in the Constitution. We've got to build a right. It's my right to choose. Whether it's choosing our gender identification or power over the yet born or whether we can legally have an Abrams tank in our garage based on the Second Amendment. It's my right to choose. We define freedom as that right. But what if part of living in someone else's kingdom of their design, creation, and ownership with their designation as sovereign king meant the choices were already made for us? Would we still want to be a part of that kingdom? Oh, my. The commandments, including their order. No other gods, no idols, and be careful how you talk about me. I read an article last week about what is now considered religion in the United States. It's not creedal anymore. Creedal meaning stated truth. It's not even covenantal of how we are relate one to the next, but Christianity has been supplanted by community. It's not creedal, it's not covenantal, it's community. In other words, our religion derives its orthodoxy from the consensus of community. What is the moral water level? What's the ethical system in this community? But how many of you know that when it's community that's deciding that, the forces of entropy are right there. And things are not tending to go in this direction, they're tending to go in this direction and in a hurry. You've heard this adage. Folks coming to the church, they want to belong before they believe. It's a myriad of challenges, but one of the most pressing in community culture is always who's in charge. I love community. I just don't want anybody telling me what to do in the context of community. I want to express my individualism. I want to express my power, my headship, my special snowflakeness in the context of this community. How dare someone be called a bishop? 
How dare someone be called a lead pastor? How dare someone be an authority? Kind of a Bible idea. And for those of, those of us living in a world created by him and for him, that question has already been asked and answered. But we forget it sometimes. Headship. But then it gets even more complicated. Because from headship, we have to now negotiate lordship. That in everything he might have supremacy. You see, the manifestation of headship is lordship. And let me say to you, discipleship is not lordship. Now, I'm going, on, I'm going to get all the way out on the thin ice. Here we go. No true delight, there is no true discipleship without lordship, at least biblical discipleship. There are human versions of it, mentors and the like. And in the church, many times we call discipleship a discovery and realization process of our personal destiny. A modification of behavior to the community norm. So we don't cuss when we come to church. <laughs> and then being molded and folded into the machinery of the mission. So I'm going to get you modified, fixed, quote, right with Jesus so you can get into the machinery of the mission and we can do more of it. And we can do all the stuff and use the language and not really know him as Lord. We can be doing a form of discipleship that's not even biblical discipleship because there's no lordship. It's why in, one, in, in, in the gospel, in Matthew, who, whoever says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom. He said, man, we did the stuff. We had miracles. We cast out devils. We did grace loves. We did amazing things. I didn't know you. I didn't know you. James 4, submit yourselves to God. You see, submission is another one of those words, not unlike the word covenant, that it's almost lost in our culture today. I think you would agree with that. That word submission, it sounds like, ooh, submission. That's the word of the oppressor. Go ahead, call God an oppressor if you want to. But the Bible's clear, submit yourselves to God. And at the true heart of our relationship, even our designation as Christians is submission. What do you think the word Christian means? It means little Christ. Wow. Don't listen to the word. Do what it says. You see, manifested lordship, saints, is deliberate submission. It's deliberate. Submission. Exactly like the forces of entropy. A submission is not something that's easy for us. I don't care how great your mom or your dad or your spouse is. Submission is still a challenge. Because of the sin nature and the specialness that we all feel and the entitlement that is locked up in the sin nature. How dare you tell me what to do? You ain't the boss of me. Tell you about lordship. He is the boss of you. Whether you acknowledge it or not, 
He is. Manifested lordship is deliberate submission, but it's also directed worship, my third point. Headship, lordship, and worship. You see, worship changes the center. That's all worship does. It changes the center. Whereas everything in our culture, our narcissistic culture is about me and mine and the therapeutic nature of how much more can I get out of this life and how much greater can I be realized and acknowledged. When we get out of that role, when we get out of that center and we place God back in that spot that he is in to regardless All of a sudden, worship begins to happen. You see, with self at center, entropy is not just a probability. It's a promise. With you at center, disorder and chaos is all you've got to look forward to. And you see, that drift says, I got it apart from God. The church at Laodicea, Revelation 3, you say I'm rich, I've acquired wealth, don't need a thing. You don't realize how pathetic you really are. And you see, as we move into a life of directed worship, of lordship, it's not about what we can do, but what we should. Everything permissible, not everything beneficial. And beyond just what we know to do, many of us, Cannot feign ignorance any longer. I didn't know. I'm sorry, officer. I didn't realize this posted speed limit wasn't 87 out here. (laughs) Let me just tell you, you can't feign ignorance anymore. Why? One, we've been given this word. But the second, Ephesians 5.17 says, don't be foolish. Understand what the Lord's will is. You see, there's a knowledge of him of his will, but what of the motivation that fuels a response to that will? And I'm closing with this. Beyond what we can, beyond what we should, what pleases him? Our motivation for response. See, this is worship. I'm not God. Here's my 10%. Here's my building offering. Here's my worship on Sunday. No, 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 no. What pleases him? And you see, that becomes an ever-increasing awareness and way of life. Let me tell you, you figure out what pleases the Lord, you're not going to have to be beating sin back with a stick. You know, we get so fixated in all the stuff that we're supposed to not do. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. God, does this please you? Not really. Okay. And it becomes that simple of how we do life. Amazing. And so what is the model? John 8, the one who sent me is with me. He's not left me alone. I always do what pleases him. The mandate, 1 John. That what we have confidence before anything we ask because we obey his commands and do what? Do what pleases him. And to borrow a technique from John Piper, what if we change one word? What if we change the word and to buy? 
We obey his commands, not and please him, but we obey his commands by pleasing him. Oh, my goodness. Oh, that changes it from being the check, check, check to a motivation. And then the manifestation, Ecclesiastes chapter 2, 26. To the man who pleases God, God gives wisdom, knowledge, and happiness. Look at the benefit. Might it be that when our worship shifts to whom it rightly belongs, the true manifestation of our relationship and our sonship might be realized? He's before all things. And in him, all things hold together. Saints, we live in a world that's falling apart. That's not a curse. That's just a cursory examination of looking around. You, got, you don't got to be much prophetic to figure that one out. The forces of entropy. But where do they come from? The fact that we've lost the center. That it's in him that all things are held together. But where there's no in him, the inverse is true. All things disperse. And they devolve into chaos. And for you and I as believers, I'd love to say that we are immune to these forces. The reality is it's not true. Because we live in this world. And the very stuff still resides inside of you and me. It's called the sin nature. And the way that we navigate these waters, one, is to understand his headship. You're not in charge. He is. Second, lordship. What does it truly mean to call him Lord? It's not a term of endearment. It's a functional term. And the last is worship. That our worship is defined not with the cans and the shoulds. It's defined by what pleases him. It changes the orientation and it changes the motivation. Not only of our thinking, but it changes everything about our life. I read this. Contrary to inanimate matter, organisms maintain the particular order of their structures and inner worlds which they impose onto their surroundings and forward to new generations. The life of an organism or species ceases as soon as it loses that ability. Do you realize that entropy is turned aside as a result of the influence we impose on our surroundings. Listen. And we forward to new generations. Guess what? Making disciples. But not making disciples of Grace Covenant Church or Pastor Tellus or Pastor AJ or Pastor Duke. Making disciples and baptizing in the name of. That's where it works. That's what, how it happens. Saints, I'd love to be able to get up here and prophesy the word of the Lord and tell you that on August the 17th, everything's going to come into alignment. All the foolishness is going to disperse. All the viruses are going to be... I can't do that. 
And any prophet that says that to you, run in the other direction. But what I can do this morning as a shepherd is help you navigate these waters and these winds. And the way we do it is getting closer to center. Because that's what holds all things together. Pray with me. First of all, if you're here this morning, that definition that I read earlier is that a system will never get more ordered without outside intervention. And the chaos and the disorder, the oppression and the depression that you feel in your life, let me just tell you, therapy and medication, it only numbs it. It doesn't cure it. But that outside intervention has a name, and his name is Jesus. Because when we allow him into our lives, he sets things in order. The chaos and the disorder maybe you've been experiencing your entire life, there is order and peace available for you in Jesus Christ. And if you've never had a moment that you've allowed the outside intervention, we call it salvation. You've allowed Jesus to step in and bring order out of your chaos. This is that moment where you acknowledge my life has been less than, but God, I want it to be more than. And if that's you this morning, I want you to just raise your hand right where you are. If you're watching via the internet this morning, you can respond where you are as well. And just pray this simple prayer. Lord, forgive me. I've lived a subpar life living for myself. Lord, forgive me. Cleanse me. Heal me. Touch me. But more importantly, move into my life and bring order out of chaos. I'll call you Lord. You can call me son. Lord, let that happen. If you're here this morning and you prayed that prayer a long time ago, but yet you still feel the forces of entropy in your own life, these places that seem to defy ordering, I'm here to tell you, God's God's coming to bring order. Acknowledge him. Acknowledge his sovereignty overall. Figure out what pleases the Lord. Move into a life not just worthy of him, but a life that pleases him. Lord, help us be a people and be a church that's known that way. Distinguish us, God, as a people on whom your pleasure rests. In Jesus' name we pray. God's people said together, amen. Bless your church. God bless you.